Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm very excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here today. Bit of a clunker for the Rockies on this Sunday afternoon as they drop the game and therefore the series to the Arizona Diamondbacks with a 4 to nothing shutout. Could not score a single run. In fact, they only got one run in the first game and in the second game of the series, they did not score until they were down to their very final out. So, of course, the story of this series was the lack of offense for your Colorado Rockies, the incredibly quality pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks, which has been the story of the season for them so far. And it was just the perfect storm, an absolute match made in, well, hell, if you're a Colorado Rockies fan, because this is the worst formula that you could possibly ask for when you're trying to improve upon road struggles and as we've talked about before particularly the road hangover effect right those of you who are regular listeners to the show remember that I was kind of making a big deal out of the fact that the Rockies were scoring three runs a game even though they were getting trounced in Philadelphia because like 10 to 3 and you were like why are you praising the offense for scoring three runs it's because of stuff like this right and this like I said it, it really was the kind of perfect storm to get them because they've played the vast majority of their season so far at home. And then they go on the road and not just on the road, but to a place where they're facing three pitchers who have been hot all season in Merrill Kelly, Zach Davies, and then Zach Gallen. You had three pitchers in a row who came into the game with sub two ERAs. Now I know it's early and you could say, well, maybe they got the better of this team or that team and the Rockies hope to be a better offense. But when you already struggle with this thing that has always been the bane of your franchise's existence, and that is scoring runs on the road, right? And you go into a place where these pitchers, and they really were good. If you watched these games, especially, I thought Davies and Gallon. I, I, it was tough because the first game, uh, you know, happened to come against Merrill Kelly, who, while I thought he pitched well, I thought he left more pitches in the middle of the zone, more hittable pitches out there for the Rockies to get. But they were swinging over the top of a lot of them because it's very difficult to get the timing and the difference in, in tilt and all the things that we've talked about, the difference in movement when you, when you go on the road and all of that stuff, right? So when they're not making too many mistakes, you only get a handful of them. It's that much more difficult to take advantage and punish those mistakes. But really for this entire series, the Rockies weren't able to do that. And because you know, again, if you're a long time, if you're a student of this team, right? If, if you're a student of their history and, and for you new fans, if you, if you're a new fan and you are out there listening, this is a time to learn that this is going to happen at times throughout the course of a year. It's just, it's going to happen. The Rockies are going to go through times where they can't buy a run on the road. Some of it's their own undoing. Some of it, yes, I would like to see changes in approach. There, there are lots of little things here and there. And I've been critical, I think, of hitting coach Dave Magadan, particularly with this regard. There, there's a particular thing, you know, the complete game's got to stop. Like that, 
And, and I get it because once you get into like the fifth or sixth inning, again, you're trying to swing at anything you think is a mistake. Anything is in the middle of the plate. But there are very few things that have been even close to proven to be a potential cure for the hangover effect. One of them is seeing a lot of pitches, as many as possible. And I get if they're darting the strike zone, you can't just stand there and watch. But there were too many first pitch swings, first pitch outs throughout this series. You know, I could go through a number of them where it's not that there's zero execution problems or approach problems when it comes to the Rockies on the road, right? They have not figured out the formula. Nobody has. But here... I think is the is the really interesting thing, right? Is that they managed to get their W. And it was a barely, and it was at the last possible second, and it was without any kind of breakout offense. Really, you got two clutch hits. All series, you got two clutch hits. And that's it, right? Coming from Jonathan Daza, followed by Jose Iglesias, that win you a ball game. But that's what it took to get them won. And you all, again, if you if you heard me coming into the road trip, I said, you know, most reasonable expectation for this team to continue to show me that they're better on the road than they were a year ago, or that they might even be decent on the road. Look, again, it'd, it'd be gravy to sit there and say, hey, win them all. Go out and win six straight road ball games. That'll show them. And it would. Not reasonable to expect it. Say win both road series. Make it so that to this point in the season, still the only series you've lost is that one in Philly. That would be great. But it's not reasonable to expect the Rockies to win most of their road series. I'm working on an article for milehighsports.com right now about the history of their road woes. They only have three seasons in their entire franchise's history where they finished above 500. Right? And I don't think this is going to be the fourth. Again, to, to peel it all back and to be 100% honest with everybody listening and, and, and all of that is I don't think this team is the most talented Rockies team in history. I don't think they're likely to win more than 92 games like they did in 2009, or 91 games like they did in 2018. I think they're a team that's going to need a lot of things to go their way to win 87 or 88 games i've got them down for 82 and it's it's still because of stuff like this like what we saw over this weekend and it's tough arizona's playing better i talked about how they're pitching a lot better and those road offensive struggles are still gonna come so while it might seem strange to sit here for just a second and focus on the one like half inning where they played well and won. Now, it's not quite true to say they only played well in a half inning because you've also got to give it up in this series for the pitching performances of Chad Cool and Kyle Freeland and several relievers. But of course, from an offensive standpoint, we are limited to this one half inning, right? But they got it done. You know, I, I had someone, I think, kind of trying to get into it with me on Twitter, and I just wasn't going to go there for the moment to, to say... Hey, this is such a barely like this one shouldn't even count. They were down to their last look. Baseball games are not 26 outs. You got to get that 27th. You know, that's it's kind of like saying the team that hits the buzzer beater in the basketball game uh, shouldn't really count or a team that has a big, you know, 27 yard touchdown pass at the end of the football game. Maybe it's slightly unlikely. 
but it counts. You got to play every second of the game. You got to get every out. And Jonathan Daza, by the way, had maybe the at bat of the season. Because, and, and I thought it was great that the Rockies won that game on the backs of Daza and Iglesias, the two guys who combined won't hit as many home runs as most of the rest of the guys in the lineup are going to hit by themselves, right? Daza and Iglesias might not get to double-digit home runs combined. Meanwhile, I expect double-digit home runs out of even guys like, you know, Rodgers and and Hilliard. Maybe not Hampson, but like Hampson's got it in there. That's, That's going to be more a matter of playing time. And then, of course, we know that Bryant and Crone and all those guys are going to, Gritchick, Diaz are going to do what they're going to do. Even Dom Nunez is probably going to get to his 10 home runs, you know. So these guys who just aren't that type of player, which so much of the team is built around, and you've long heard me say, again, if, if you're a longtime listener of mine, you know that my approach to the hangover effect is the opposite of what the Rockies have done here. And that would have been to get a whole bunch of contact guys. That's why I was unreasonably in love with Ryan Altapia, right? It's one of the reasons I really liked the Jose Iglesias pick when they picked him up. And why I like Jonathan Daza and some of these other guys with the low strikeout rates. One of the reasons why I'm huge on Elijeros Montero. Slightly different, but it's the under 20% strikeout rate regularly that gets me hyped, right? But this play, the, the, these back-to-back hits... Where Daza just went down and lined a little single to center field. Man, that's just, that's a singles hitter's single. Did that make sense? That is a hitter's hit. I, I saw somebody the other day saying like, I don't understand the phrase. What, what do they say? A good piece of hitting for a single. Nobody ever says that a home run that went 450 feet was a good piece of hitting. Typically... Not always, but typically when a guy hits a ball 450 feet for a homer, it's because the pitcher made a mistake. Even if a slight one, he made a mistake and the hitter made him pay for it by hitting a ball 450 feet. And a lot of guys have made a lot of money, a lot of great statistics, and every pitcher makes some mistakes. You're going you're gonna to get one. You're going to find one somewhere. So no problem if that is you know the way you go about it. But the reason we call it a good piece of hitting which is what you saw at Daza and Iglesias, is that they abandon, with the swing they put on the baseball, they abandon any pretense of hitting that ball over the wall. Not a chance in hell with that kind of swing. They're slowing down the bat. They're taking a much wider approach, that, like less legs and momentum into the swing, right? They're just going out and trying to make a little bit of contact and get a little bit of lift so they don't just pound the thing into the dirt. So they can do what both of them did, basically, either lift it over the infield or or through the infield. Base hits, runs, score, ball game, one. That, for me, was eye-opening. Because I said before the series, I think they're going to win two games on the road trip. And your best hope to spread them out would actually be to take one in each city. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they couldn't go into San Francisco and win the set. They, they absolutely could. I'm not predicting them to. I'm, I'm sticking with my original prediction that they'll win one there. But if they can, if they continue to not get swept, except for that thing in Philly, which was obviously, and I think more clearly at this point, 
the kind of outlier series of the season, right? Because as much as the Rockies offense was frustrating as hell to watch here against Arizona, they didn't kick this thing away. They didn't make a bunch of dumb, bad mistakes, a bounce here or there. Even today's game, there was four, nothing, you know, the, the Diamondbacks just had a couple of balls that got through and the Rockies didn't. And that's not to say there's not room for lots of improvement. Again, this is a team that I've predicted to win 82 games for a reason. And I'm not moving off of that for some of what we saw this weekend. But that doesn't mean that there isn't stuff on the other side to go, oh, you know, same all, same all. Here go the Rockies. They can't win on the road. They did. They won a ball game in Arizona, a team that's playing well, pitching remarkably well, got an extraordinary start out of their starter in that game, and the Rockies still managed to steal one. If you go into San Francisco and steal another one, the Rockies have got their sixth road win of the season, something they didn't get until late June of last year. So, and again, this is the article I'm working on for milehighsports.com, so I'll get into you know, more details on it in writing. But essentially, the question is this. How good do the Rockies really need to be on the road? Some of that answer is going to be related to how good can they remain at home? Their history shows us if they can truly dominate at home, they can make this the postseason with a losing with a comfortably losing road record. They did it in 1995. They did it in 2007. But the other three years that they made the postseason, 2009, 17, and 18, they did have winning records on the road. Barely in in two of those years, just barely, and then pretty comfortably in 2018. But I don't think that this Rockies team is necessarily going to be built to do that. I, I don't think that they're going to be able to get to that 40 or 41 wins. I do think they can get 33, 34 road wins. And that puts them in a really interesting position if they can dominate at home to even still surpass my 82 win mark prediction, right? Then it'll all come down to truly dominating at Coors Field. Now, they didn't have Chris Bryant for this set, and that's another thing that I've been very curious about from the beginning to see how he's going to impact this because I think his approach, his veteranness, his all-fields power, uh, you know, his willingness to take a walk, to not press, to say chill and relaxed and those kinds of things. I wrote this article earlier in the year. I think Chris Bryant has an interesting possibility to be a little bit more of a cure for this than anything but make no mistake about what we just saw this is exactly the Coors Field hangover effect in action that's precisely what we just witnessed I promise you that Connor Joe and CJ Crone and Randall Gritchick and Ryan McMahon did not suddenly just forget how to hit baseballs you know, the only guy who we really saw making regular good solid line drive contract contract contact throughout the series was Brendan Rodgers because he's breaking out of his slump and he's just seeing the ball better and, and due for better contact, right? 
But Rocky's got good pitching again from Cool and Freeland. Okay pitching from Marquez today. Today seemed like a big step in the right direction for me, honestly. And I think I can talk more in depth about Marquez in the future because I did one on him a week ago and all of his struggles. And I want to see one more start because today seemed like he had a lot more velo back. He was hitting his spots more often than not. He was hunting strikeouts a little more than I'd like to see him do. He had a lot of 0-2 counts that became 3-2 counts with some sort of just predictable breaking balls in the dirt you know it wasn't really surprising anybody with the high you know o2 fastball or, or whatever it was just a little bit predictable today and still missing his spots more than he should more than he historically has and i've seen a lot of chatter about have the rockies changed him and i know there, there's been talk about the grip on his fastball that's a thing that he and the pitching coaches kind of got together and did and it looks like it maybe was a bad idea and should be scrapped altogether. But beyond that, you know, I've heard this rumor floating around that the Rockies have purposefully tried to make Marquez into more of a pitch to contact guy. That's just not a thing. Um, you know, they, they're always tinkering with adding more elements to anyone's game. And yes, they want him to be able to throw a sinker a little bit more often if it's something that he can add to his repertoire. But Marquez is still out there trying to get strikeouts a lot. And none of that matters when you're not hitting your spots. So again, I, I see people talking about his approach. And even I just mentioned a bit ago that there's a predictability problem when you're going 0-2 and then you throw three straight breaking balls out of the zone. But Really, so much of that matters so much less when you're just executing your pitches. And he's not. So to say, oh, he's pitching two contact or he's pitching for the strikeout, he's pitching down too much, he's not pitching up enough, this, that, or the other. None of that is relevant when you're not hitting your spots because you can't pitch to a game plan. You can't continue to stay consistent with what you're doing if you're missing regularly because then you have to go off of what you've actually thrown not what you intended to throw right it doesn't work like that so if Marquez was hitting his spots then we can get into a conversation about you know is he having an approach problem is he not pitching enough for the strikeout is he pitching too much to contact but right now he's not pitching too much to the catcher's glove that's when he needs to be focused on, not to contact, away from contact, to the double play ball, to the ground ball, to the fly ball, uh, jam shot off the end of the bat. What he, like, hit the glove. Let's start there. And that's part of the reason why I can't dive too deeply into this conversation about the, what the Rockies have or haven't done to Marquez because it is, frankly, 100% irrelevant until he's hitting his spots. Your game plan doesn't matter if, that, if you're not actually executing it, Right? And of course, none of that holds true with the other guys and what they're doing right now. And I understand that Marquez, Cool, and Sensatella are all more pitch to contact guys. Or Mark, I said I said Marquez. I think I meant Freeland. <laughs> Which order did I say? Cool, Sensatella, Freeland, all more contact guys, right? Gomber's got a bit of both. Gomber will hunt his strikeout. Gomber will get you out however he feels like that particular at bat 
makes the most amount of sense. And quite frankly, that's the way I want all of them to be. I've seen more of that from Freeland lately too. He'll, he's hunting the strikeout a bit more. So are, are you telling me that the Colorado Rockies are coaching Marquez to strike out guys less, but they're coaching Freeland to strike out guys more? All of these tools are necessary ingredients to being a complete pitcher. And if you're going to pitch half your games at Coors Field, you need to be able to do everything, man. I think one of the things they learned after the Bill Guyvet era and really under the tutelage, I love when I get to use that word, of Mark Wiley since around 2013, which is, by the way, the reason we are seeing the best starting rotation in Rockies history, is that you can't limit your philosophies. There was a big idea under Bill Guyvet and in that whole era of sinker balls. Anyone who lived through it remembers when the whole thing was, let's try to replicate Aaron Cook in everybody that we can. And look, if you could do that, great, fantastic. That would work. If you could just clone Aaron Cook and put five of them in your rotation, that'd be phenomenal, right? It'd be great. And from a certain splits perspective, that's kind of what Kyle Freeland is, just from the other side. And it's kind of what Chad Cool has been doing so far. And what Senzatello, when he's at his best, has been throughout his career. John Gray, when he was with the club, and Armand Marquez have been more stereotypical big strikeout guys with some power pitching stuff, because that's what they've got. But they're not trying to make Marquez into anything that he's not. They're just trying to add elements to the to his game. And have they over-tinkered? Probably. Almost certainly. Is Armand Marquez ruined? Absolutely not. I saw glimpses again today. Again, in the loss, in a game that he made a couple of pitches that made me go once again, Armand, come on, dude, come on, look. You know, I feel like if I was his, like his friend or something, I'd be there going, you know, you, you know where it is, right? You know you can't do that. The throwing error, the the pickup. Now, again, they lose 3 nothing or they lose 4 nothing, whatever, I guess, right? But the throwing error to bring in a fourth run when you, you, you feel like maybe you're still just a bloop, bloop, blast away and, and you give him one. Brutal. He's not having a good season. Is he done? Absolutely not. In fact, I'll make a prediction right now. Armand Marquez is going to be really good in his next outing. Again, I saw I just saw a lot of things today that suggested to me he, he took some big strides forward in his side sessions or whatever he did uh, because he was hitting his spots more often. His fastball had late movement on it. It had velo. It had velo up. Uh, you know, the, the breaking balls have always had the spin. He was just throwing them a little bit more where he needs to. So now it is. It's about sequencing and predictability and and locking it in, just tightening it up a little bit more, and he's going to be back to being the really good Herman Marquez that we've seen before. So what's the answer for the offense? Keep chugging away. The only thing, like I said, that I can I can say, look, if I had the answer to the Coors Field hangover effect, the Rockies would have hired me years ago, right? Like, And, and quite frankly, if anybody really did have the answer to this, I promise you they'd be working for the team. It's a very complicated thing. Charlie Blackman is among the top 2% of smart baseball players, probably top 1%. 
Charlie Blackman might be among the six or seven smartest hitters or just smartest people in terms of the way they think about the game of baseball and all the different levels in which they think about the game of baseball, who's active right now, right? And Charlie has thought about this problem a lot. He's helped to bring along the a new pitching machine that they take with them on the road. He's talked on and off the record with me and several others about what you need to do with health. He has his own very specific health regimen. There are so many things that go into trying to tackle this problem, right? And he still doesn't have the answer for it. He's still swinging wildly at balls in the dirt today too. Because hitting a baseball is one of the most difficult things to do in all of professional sports. And when the Rockies go on the road, that difficult thing gets two or three or four times as hard. So I don't think you overcome the Coors Field hangover effect. I think you circumvent it. I think you go around it. I think you did what they did in game two. Get a couple of singles when you need them the most and get the F out of town. (laughs) Bail out of Dodge. Count your victory that you didn't get swept. See if you can steal one. Hey, you steal two in San Francisco. You've had a phenomenal road trip. You take one in San Francisco more than acceptable. You get swept there. I've got to come back here in three days and have another conversation about is this team going to be just miserable on the road? Because the answer to that may be, yeah. And that may be how they get to their 500 record that I've predicted, right? Basically win all your games at home and none of your games on the road, you'll be 500. And that'd be a frustrating and disappointing way to get there considering we've seen moments, right? We've seen the offense do stuff in Texas and and Detroit. Maybe those pitching staffs just aren't as good. But as we know, that hasn't always been the case in the past that they could take it. Even last year when Arizona was miserable, Pittsburgh was miserable, Washington later in the season when they were just miserable. That didn't mean that the Rockies rolling into their city were going to win any games at all, did it? So, hey, frustrating to watch another one of those reminders that yeah as good as it can feel it can always be just one quick road trip away from feeling really really rough but again if you're looking at this team to outdo what they did last year which is honestly, and and I've tried to be honest about that and and reasonable about it and say that's what I'm looking for them to do is take a big step forward this year. And one of the clearest ways to do that was going to be not just not being awful on the road. I didn't expect them to go from the worst road team in baseball other than Arizona somehow, but to, you know, for a while there, they looked like they were going to be the worst road team in the history of Major League Baseball. So it's it's tough to expect them to go from that to an even team on the road. They've already clearly been so much better. And a win in San Francisco, one. Get them one win in San Francisco. And I'll be on the train of, yeah, better. Much better. Enough to get into the postseason? Well, let's play out the rest of the year to find that. But are they going to be a joke on the road? Come out and get one in San Francisco? And I think you proved to... They, they proved to themselves. Not not to the most cynical of fans, of course. 
but they will prove to themselves, and I think to a lot of people paying close attention, that this isn't last year's road team, and, and maybe it's an even above-average Rockies road team, depending on how they do it. Again, is it, is it going to be key hits from veterans? Is it going to be the, the big home run ball, a three-run jack at just the right time, and, and you got to get your pitching? But the defense was good for the most part throughout the set. The pitching was good for the most part throughout the set. I know people are ready to burn Carlos Estevez at the stake, but let's all calm down. Early in the season, steady pace. Don't be awful on the road. And I know that sounds like such a low bar to set, but when you check Colorado Rockies history, don't be awful on the road is not just quite the accomplishment. It is a key one because they're going to be good at home. So brutal set. See if the offense can find something in San Francisco. But that's why basically any game where they score three or four runs on the road, they've got to win that game. That's why I was so angry about the Philadelphia stuff, not because I thought the defense was going to continue to be bad. I knew the defense wasn't going to continue to be bad. It's because they should have won two of those games because they scored. And people be like, what are you talking about? They say, I remember like, it's only three runs. Three runs on the road, two games in a row for the Colorado Rockies against a good team? That's huge. And you kick it away with bad defense? Killer. Absolutely killer. This set is a standard road Rockies stuff. Frustrating. Not fun to watch. But you got to tip your cap to the Diamondbacks who are playing pretty good baseball. And the National League West, which is the best division in baseball right now. So we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep our eyes on them. We're going off to San Francisco now for more late-ass games for us locals. Uh, if we're not out there, I'm, I'm back here in Colorado. So just watching the games on television like everybody else. 7.45 local start times for us. That's going to be pretty brutal. We've got Gomber versus Rodon in game one. Sensatella versus Wood in game two. And Cool versus Cobb in game three and like i said my prediction the rockies win one and if they do nice solid road trip even though a lot of people won't be necessarily happy with it uh, i think in context you've got to take that and then try to continue to be your dominant selves back at home uh, with an opportunity against kansas city obviously very beatable and then a, a chance for what i'm assuming will be a good revenge series with San Francisco. If they, you know, kind of take it to you in San Francisco, you've got the next week to come back and try to get at them in Denver. And again, you call it a win. If you go out there, you win one in San Francisco, then you sweep them at home. Now you feel like you've got an advantage. And that's the other big thing before I sign off is the Giants and the Dodgers. The two places where the Rockies were horrible a season ago and they need to show market improvement on the road, which I've talked about for the last 20 minutes, <laughs> and against the Giants and Dodgers. So they go in and they get swept in San Francisco. It's rough in both categories, right? Win one. And I know there will be people out there going, man, you set the bar so low. You just want them to win one game in San Francisco? Yeah, that's huge. 
get one of them. I don't care which one. I don't care how. Find a way to win a game in San Francisco, and this team gets to continue to win the early season mental battle with itself, that we're a new club, we can hang with anybody, and we're going to do some special things this year. You don't want to fall into those ruts. Like if they you know, lost one to Cincinnati after that horrible series in Philly, you lose one to that awful team, it gets in your head. But they, they came home, wrecked them. Perfect. Right? You can flush the Philly series. They're in a similar spot here. Losing Arizona, fine. But only win one game on a road trip again, you start to feel like the same old, same old Rockies. It's remarkable how much that second win changes things. So let's see what happens. Thank you all for listening into this episode of 20th and Blake on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all the written content at milehighsports.com. And you're following me on Twitter at Drew Creaseman. You can always join me for the spaces whenever I'm doing those as well. Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.